Hey guys, welcome back to the Drunken Scholar podcast. This is the Wars in the North series, and I'm your host, Devin Clays. Last time, we left off with the Great Cossack Rebellion, the death of Vetislaus IV, and the ascension of John Casimir as king, brother to Vetislaus IV. Now, as I go on, there is a couple, you know, in general, he's not known as a man of charisma. He is a proven, able commander and veteran. He fought in the Smolensk Wars successfully. And while his brother was king, he also took a lot of time in the Austrian court in fighting for the Holy Roman Emperor in his wars as a commander. Aside from this, he was also a cardinal, as well as a bunch of other stuff. But I'm not going to get too deep into that. But, but yeah, regardless with the chaos of the rebellion and the failure to put it down... Um, John Casimir is elected in November of 1648 and, you know, to take up this mantle. However, he's not unanimously elected like Vetislaus was. Okay. There's a lot of divisions here because his time in the Austrian court, you know, he was a big fan of the Austrians absolutists. Uh, ideals. And because of this, many of the nobles felt very paranoid about him coming to power that he would try to strengthen the monarchy and the crown's power, which I mean, to be honest, their paranoia. Unfortunately, the nobles did not see that noble power or I mean, the royal power was exactly what the Commonwealth needed. But we'll get into that later. Finally, the next year, they are willing to raise another army. They raise a, finally raise a professional force, but they put in charge of it a bunch of incompetent magnates, as they have done the last few times. And as what happened previously, the, again, these Polish armies get ambushed in Moldavia, and they're virtually annihilated. And once again, the Poles are embarrassed and humiliated. The same year, they end up passing what is known as the Liberarum Veto. Essentially, what this does is in the session now, legis legislation and as well as like taxes and funding for men and how many men to raise can now be vetoed just with one vote. If there's a single vote in the session against whatever is being passed, it's shot down, which this essentially paralyzes the session from doing anything effective, you know, which is catastrophic in this time of crisis. As I said before, these these Cossacks, they're not very centralized people. And so everyone has different opinions on what to do next and how to run things. Um, you know, some think they should go to Russia. Some think they should go back to Poland. And some think they should just establish their own fucking kingdom, an independent Cossack nation. So essentially, the Cossacks, they're not able to capitalize on their victories against the Commonwealth. But, you know, to get a safety net here, the Cossacks, they end up forming an alliance with the Russians for protection. And they don't realize this at the time, but this is they're basically striking a deal with the devil here. There's not going to be a whole lot of say in the future, how things go. But regardless, Russia agrees to the alliance and they break their truce with the Commonwealth and decide to invade. Again, 
they invade, they send 90,000 troops for the invasion spread out across the theater. And virtually, because the Commonwealth is in, you know, they do the best they can, but there's there's just not much they can do with just such a force of Russians coming at them. So they start folding pretty quickly. Lithuanians are losing land. And of course, the Lithuanian nobles are getting really pissed off and discontented with the ineffectiveness of both the king and the Sejim. But by June, the Sejim finally approves for 53,000 men to be raised. You know, it's not as much as the Russians have, but it is a decently sized force. It's a for it's a step in the right direction. However, although they approve it, the Polish and reality are only able to raise a fraction of this number. And most of those forces are going to be concentrated on Ukraine, you know, to put down these rebels, the, the Cossack horde. And this is obviously going to piss off the Lithuanians a great deal because they're wanting help to, to protect their lands. But the Poles want to go on the offensive to destroy the rebels. You know, um, by October of the same year, Smolensk falls. And Smolensk, as, as we stated in previous episodes, this has been a, this is a very big contention point. And so the fort was basically in disrepair and Smolensk ends up falling a lot easier this time than it did in the Smolensk war. Fortunately for the Poles, after the Russians take it, most of the Russian army is forced to pull back. This is due to like disease breaking out widespread amongst the camps. Every like people are dropping like flies. And so they have to pull back. But Smolensk would have easily been able to be retaken, but with the inefficiencies in the Commonwealth at the time, the Poles just cannot muster the troops. And like the fall of Smolensk and the inability to retake it just sows further divisions in the Commonwealth because that is just a very symbolic defeat. By fucking July, Charles X ascends the throne of Sweden and he's war hawk and he's looking around because as we've stated in previous episodes Sweden's policy is to have the war pay for itself and Sweden just has a fat ass army and no war to fight and so with everything going down there is no better time to invade the commonwealth than right now so by December and by the next year 1655 Sweden formally invades and declares war this campaign, when the Swedes start off this invasion, is absolutely astonishing because they they invade Prussia full force, but the Polish garrisons and nobility, one after another, they all basically surrender without firing a shot. Prussia, all of northern Poland, the field marshal of the Lithuanian forces pissed off with their the Polish government's inability to support them against the Russians, he even bends the knee and declares King Charles X as Grand Duke of Lithuania. The question is, is how is all this possible? Over a third of Poland just falls without firing a shot by the Swedes. Like, how did it come to this? How is it so fragile? And the answer is, 
politicalization of the army. And so for this, we, we have to rewind a little bit. So since the 1500s, the Polish armies, they would hold a council of war on campaign known as a colo. And on these campaigns, they would originally be held for like the commanders to talk to their captains and high ranking subordinates to discuss the campaign's operations in terms of strategy, logistics, and things like that. But as time went on, as we get into the 1600s, you know, these councils start to be held and be more inclusive with middling nobility and then lowering lower nobility. And then what we see happen is essentially these meetings start to be held without the presence of higher ranking commanders. Now these middling and lower nobilities will hold these meetings and they would discuss not things relating to war operations. They would discuss the conditions of their service, various pay inequalities amongst the troops. Um, They would discuss disciplinary uh, issues they would have with their commanders. And on occasion, they would even agree and discuss uh, whether to participate in the campaign at all. And so oftentimes this would create a lot of issues within the military on these campaigns. Now there would be crackdowns trying to stop these meetings from happening, but they would largely prove to be ineffective. You know, seeing these meetings take place, eventually these meetings between all these nobles you would see the formation of what is known as uh, military confederations within the army. And these things, these military confederations would reach its zenith of like power. And now later down the road, John Casimir would try to capitalize on this and try to rally these middle and lower nobility, the, the citizens, against the higher magnates in order to try to secure a bid for more absolutist royal power. This would ultimately prove ineffective for reasons I'll get into later. But yeah, so these Kolos, uh, Kolos, the these councils of war, these confederations are going on during this Swedish invasion. And so a lot of these confederations, they just, they're willing to surrender to Sweden. Charles comes down with his army and he's like, yeah, if y'all surrender, we're not going to pillage your lands. I'll guarantee your rights as nobility. You can hold on to everything. And so eventually, like a lot of these guys, they swear oaths of loyalty to Sweden and King Charles and abandon John Casimir. And one by one, each of these cities fall. And what we see is third of the Commonwealth falls without even firing a shot. Everyone in panic and in fear of the of the encroaching Swedish Russian armies, they abandon John Casimir. Now, John Casimir does try to rally the Sejim and the Polish nobility to his side to try to expel the invaders. But his pleas and cries to his people fall upon deaf ears. And as a last ditch effort, the Sejim instead tries to offer the crown of the Commonwealth 
to the Austrians, which promptly ignore this, uh, this invitation or an offer. So John Casimir being the man he is, he tries to, he rallies whatever loyal remnants he has left and tries to fight the Swedes, but he's beaten back to back. He has to flee and abandon Warsaw and he's forced into exile in the Silesia. And one by one, all the garrisons and fortresses fall, the armies surrender. And for all intents and purposes, the, the Commonwealth is completely fallen between the onslaught of the Swedish forces in the north, the Russians to the east, and the Ukrainians to the south. And Lvov is the only stronghold that's able to really hold out against these sieges. For all intents and purposes, the Commonwealth at this point has completely collapsed. However, the Poles and, and John Casimir is about to have a reverse of fortunes. And everyone likes a good comeback story, uh, especially me, because I really fuck with the Poles heavy. But um, we're going to get into the comeback of the Commonwealth here shortly and the attempts by John Casimir to counteract both the invading forces as he tries to build a coalition against them as well as his attempts to try to curb the power of the nobility and get noble power increased in order to try to reform the nation um, during this crisis and after the crisis. But that's going to be a story for the next episode. Uh, thank you guys for joining in. Uh, I appreciate y'all. Y'all have a good night.